0: and for this time. I pray, God, that you would help us today, help us help translate whatever I say and let it meet where they are, meet every single one where they are. God, we pray against every single distraction that would be in this room, the demonic, whatever that is. God, we're asking you to do that right now. Lord, you take dominion. You take dominion. We've learned about dominion for the last four weeks. God, we take dominion over the service. Jesus, we're asking you to take dominion over the service. And if you believe that Jesus has dominion, say his name amen amen it took over three years to build and construct construction began in the winter of 1870 and this so-called eighth wonder of the world when completed was open to the public 13 years later in new york city it spans a little over a mile in length, and expands about 85 feet wide. It's cables that suspend this phenomenon hold at least 14,000 tons of pressure without anyone, anyone at all or anything passing through. It is a passageway to travelers who pass through, attempting to get from one side to the next, either by walking, biking, traveling by car across this huge body of water called the East River, from Manhattan, New York, to Brooklyn. To prove its strength, they would parade a host of elephants to ensure its safety. The phenomenon is called the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm sure you've heard of it before. The engineer, Washington Roebling, with his father, John Augustus, they made plans to build this eighth wonder Of the world when the project began to the casual observer the construction of the bridge itself seemed to be moving slow which is not a well-received word in manhattan new york new yorkers tend to appreciate speed acceleration so the public was frustrated at the bridge builders and construction workers and decided to voice that just frustration loudly because they did not see with their eyes any progress in the space of two years say that with me two years two full years loudly enough they shared their disgruntlement and rovin needed to respond and this is what he says he writes it in a letter and he puts it in the newspaper he says he says to such of the general public as might imagine that no work has been done on the new york tower because they see no evidence of it above the water. I should simply remark that the amount of masonry concrete laid on the foundation during the past winter under the water is equal in quantity to the entire masonry of the Brooklyn Tower visible today above the water line. I'll paraphrase. The bridge work you do not see above the water line is not an indication that there isn't any work being done below the waterline. The bridge was being built below the surface of the water. It was just no one could see and no one would see until it would emerge from the very same water. The Apostle Paul penned a truth that stretches back to an ignorant, boastful, unconcerned with few responsibilities, young lad in the backside of a desert. Paul wrote... In the New Testament, in the book of Philippians, a truth that I hope, as the young people have coined it, hits you different. A principle that has been encouraging to me during transitional moments of my life. He wrote in the opening chapter a confidence he had about those living in Philippi. He wrote that he that has begun a good work in you will, anyone know it? Continue it, complete it until the day his return. The modern twist, we might paraphrase and say, God's just not done with you yet. But until that day and a few days to come, you are living where the New Yorkers did not see and became frustrated at the building of the Brooklyn Bridge, where they did not see the progress and the difficulties of their life process below the waterline. The expanse in building of that bridge became and is still a source of connection A pathway from one end to the next. This is what God is building in you. This is what God is building in us below the waterline. The next generation that you will disciple, lead, guide, walk with those who are lost and need direction. God is working on us below the waterline. Joseph's story is a compelling part of an overarching narrative in the Bible. It emphasizes a principle that I'll reiterate throughout the entire night, ensuring that it becomes ingrained in your life, much like the salt or the persistent ice on our vehicles lately. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 24 reads, and she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Then in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 26, it says, it reads, So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Grabbing these scriptures share the beginning cries of baby Joe and the lasting breaths of an old wise teenager, we'll call him a teenager, Joseph, a prince of Egypt. I'm gonna try something. On the count of three, I want us all to shout when your birthday is. One, two, three. Ooh, that was a little, who was that at the end? All right, try it again. One, two, three. Anyone's birthday this month, January? Well, happy birthday. Has it already come and gone? Happy birthday. Give her a hand. Happy birthday. See, the beginning of your life is there, but from that moment until now, God is actively working. The same holds true for Joseph, the young man adored by his father and disliked by his brothers. We're going to look at his story. Now, with Christmas still having a residue in our brains, we might still have the aftertaste of what receiving a gift feels like and looks like, maybe even smells like, just depends on what you got. You opened the box, the bag, or the basket with anticipation and the expectation. And unsure, unsure where Jacob, Joseph's daddy, got Joseph's gift, perhaps the Jewish version of Amazon. And when he clicked it, he added it to the cart, and he must have known deep down that Joseph would love the gift. When Joseph saw his firmly pressed dry, clean clothes, coat, he, like most of us, when he, when he got the gift, wanted to text his friends and family. I'm sure the reasonable phrase might have read a text like this. Let's check the screen. It might have read something like this. Have you seen the coat Dad got me? It's got a lot of colors. Even, wait for it, blue. Check Benjamin's response. Next slide, please. This coat, as a youngster say it, this coat is lit. And then check Reuben, Judah, Benjamin, Levi, Isakar, and Gad's response. Next slide, please. You see me, right? (laughs) These colors, though. Huh? Real cool, Joseph. I'm sure this might have been some of their responses if they had cellular apparatuses back then. A little excessive? Probably. Everyone knew about Joseph's coat. And everyone knew it was not a secret that Joseph was daddy's favorite His brothers were half-brothers, step-brothers. I know the family dynamics personally. Same daddy, different mama. For some of us sitting in a refuge chair or watching online have experienced or know someone that has a very fluid family structure. Perhaps you married into one. It's a step-family or a blended family that has raging dynamics. And it has its ebbs and flows of its own. And in some cases, you didn't get to choose your family. They just are what they are. And it is what it is. Here's a principle to learn from our story with a whole lot of assurance to add to it. God still lives, works, and moves there, even in that family system. No matter how broken it may be, he can and still will use you in that family system. So Joseph's family, his brothers hated him to the point of envy. And Joseph, as we read from his previous text threads in scripture that he is quick to text or DM dad with not so positive reports about his brothers while they are watching the flock of goat, oxen, and sheep in the field. joseph got nothing good to say about them when he calls his father on his antique android tablet of stone. He's a tattletale, daddy's favorite, and put in charge at a very, very young age. That's a really horrible mixture It's like putting flour, butter, eggs, chocolate chips, and hot sauce and Fritos in a bowl, baking it to ooey gooeyness and calling it a cookie. It may look like one, but it ain't going to taste good. On top of all the hatred, the misunderstanding, and favoritism, Joseph has a dream. The family of brothers and sisters, including dad, was probably enjoying cookies made without hot sauce, dipping them in goat's milk, watching the goats pass by in the field. When Joseph interrupted their gaze and shouted, hey, guys, guess what? You wouldn't believe it. I had a dream. Check this out. We were all all on the field gathering bundles of wheat, and all of a sudden, I mean, listen to this. All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up, and your bundle circled around it, and they bow down to mine. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? The response is as you'd expect. They respond with anger and disbelief. Let me pause for a second and offer yet another principle for life I've personally experienced. Not everyone will experience you now the way God sees you in the future. Not everyone will experience you now the way that God sees you in the future. God will give you dreams and callings and impartations like he spoke through Pastor Gary a few Sundays ago or when he spoke in a whisper when you were younger. But to some, you you tell and share what God has placed in your heart. They will not always meet and match you with love and agreement. We're people. We're fickle. That's just the way it is. His brothers did not meet Joseph this way. They said, so you're going to rule us? You're going to boss us around just who do you think you are? The Bible tells us that his brothers hated him even more than they had already hated him before. And I'm sure the words stung as Joseph retreated back to his room, shoulders humped over, still wearing his coat of color, perhaps wondering if the dream was just a dream. I'll say this you'll ponder in your journey if the feelings you felt, the gifts you received from God, the experiences you had here in this place if they were just hype and far-fetched dreams. But what Joseph doesn't know is that all he's experiencing now is below the waterline. Below the surface, Joseph has just learned what it's like to be rejected and dismissed, so he might one day see it in others and meet their need. This all happens below the waterline. Here's another principle. Sometimes rejection is just a part of the journey. Just ask Jesus. Rejection just sometimes is a part of the journey. He just asked to ask our Savior. He was rejected and despised, hated even. But still, below the waterline, Joseph has another dream. This, This time, the family out in the open fire roasting s'mores with leavened bread. At evening, with stars to light the night, Joseph interrupts the crackling of the wood and announces he has another dream. Benjamin and Reuben say and murmur underneath their breath, Oh, here we go again. Joseph gets right to the point this time. He's excited. It's bubbling over. And he says, listen, listen. The sun and the moon and 11 stars all bow down to me. Jacob, Joseph's daddy, stands up from his stone, points a finger at Joseph with anger and says, what's with all this dreaming? Cut all that out. You think your sisters and your brothers and even me are going to bow down to you? I mean, I gave you a coat, but don't go getting any ideas. I'm certain that this stung, these words stung worse than the first. Because now daddy doesn't even believe in his dreams and rebukes him in front of the whole family. You have to understand how embarrassing that was for Joseph. Again, I remind you that sometimes even your family can't see what God is doing below the water line. Sometimes the person sitting next to you can't see what God is doing below the water line. And sometimes neither can you. A few days go by and Joseph continues his usual routine in the Valley of Hebron, probably skipping rocks because it doesn't appear that Joseph had any responsibilities. Then Daddy asks Joseph to check on his brothers in a place called Shechem to receive a full report and come back to him with his findings. I will let you know that this is about a 50-mile hike to check on his brothers. Not in Shechem, but in Dotham, which is another 15 miles to hike. So about 65 miles, and he did not have a Ferrari. His brothers see him in a distance, and he sees them too. They were having a good day. It probably filled with laughter and fun, eating hot talkies and Mountain Dew until he came. Joseph, still a distance away, they referred to him not as his brother, but call him the dreamer. It's always bad news when people call you out your name. You ever been called out your name before? And just to show you how twisted and dark families can get and how far jealousy and envy can go, they start discussing the idea of killing Joseph. Let me remind you that there is an enemy of your soul who sees you at a distance. Like Joseph's brothers, and he's heard your dreams. He's seen your devotion. he He winces a little as he imagines what you might become, and he wants nothing more than to kill them by destroying your future, devising ways he can steal your hopes, discourage your dreams, and drive out your determination to live with, here it is, dominion, over yourself, sin, Satan, and circumstances. All the while, you live below the waterline where God is doing his best work in you so one day he can work through you. And the disciples you are destined to disciple will make an impact that will indeed turn our world upside down. All of this God is doing. All of this God is working. All of this God is moving below the waterline. Granted, there are... A few voices that reached for Joseph's safety to sway the brothers from killing him. But it didn't stop stop them from following their plan. Now Joseph, he's unaware of his brothers' intentions, walks up to them with first a smile, then confusion, and then shock as they ripped off the piece of Joseph, the piece of Joseph that represented authority, a piece of Joseph that was comfortable, a piece of Joseph that they hated most. They slammed him down in a deep, dark, dirty, and dry pit. Pit. God was using his brothers to shred off a coat Joseph was growing out of. In preparation to wear a coat, he would need to learn to fill one day in a place he could not possibly understand. And so God is doing all of this below the waterline. It is here in the bottom of a pit, looking up, watching his brothers eat goat cheese and lamb's meat, enjoying their Lunchables, while he sits in darkness and despair alone, Joseph learns here below the waterline that life is not fair and that life, in life, horrible things happen to everyone. It was the wise King David's son who wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. And again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance what happens to us all. And time and chance is exactly what happens as opportunity to rid Joseph and his dreams comes to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and Benjamin. All 11 of them agree to sell their brother, removing both him and and his dreams from their memory but not their conscience as we will see later as Joseph Joseph watches en route to an Egyptian officer's home the backs of his treacherous brothers fade in the dust leaving to tell their daddy a lie I'm sure there was anguish the sting the sadness Joseph is overwhelmed with both anger and grief losing everything he knows to venture down uncertainty into the future God is leading him toward and he's feeling the feels. And let me pause for a moment. Hear, hear me closely. And I know I'm going to say this in an apostolic room. But feel your feels. Your emotions are a God-send beacon that, if properly turned over to faith, has the potential to be used for God's glory. Say that again. Your emotions are a God-send beacon that, if properly turned over to faith, has the potential to be used for God's glory. Your faith can and should tell tell you where your feelings should go. Your faith can and should tell you where your feelings should go. And so like Joseph, I'm sure he was in his fields. He just had no idea that all he's experiencing, everything that he's facing, all that he's enduring, all the pain and discomfort is all what God is doing below the waterline. Days, weeks, and months, maybe even years go by, and the dust settles as God is working on Joseph below the waterline. Joseph finds himself in a country and culture he didn't know, surrounded by a language he didn't understand. But somehow, now sold to work as a slave, Joseph must have learned something new, because now people looked at him changed. Potiphar, the Egyptian officer, saw that God was with Joseph and blessed everything that Joseph touched. Joseph must have gone to a Missouri regional camp meeting, got convicted about his pride and arrogance, learned a lesson in humility, laying it down at the altar, and decided not to pick it up again. Because people, people could tell that Joseph and God were pretty close. And as Potiphar saw God on Joseph, he put him in a place of leadership because he saw the evidence of the outworking of Joseph's faith in his life and his work ethic. Now, that's a powerful combination. I'll say this as you embark into ministry and as we go into the next season of refuge, listen to this principle we learned from Potiphar. Even a worldly man, he needed to see the evidence of God's working in Joseph's life and the success that it came with it before he could exalt him. Here below the waterline, God is letting Joseph learn how to lead because here's another principle. Potential alone is like, like, is like a promise not yet realized. While practicing and producing is like watching a promise conceived with an expectation of birth and growth, potential alone will not do it, but practicing and producing fruit is what Jesus is looking for. Potiphar didn't, see, didn't just see his potential in Joseph, but he saw Joseph producing in the place he was currently at. Jesus said it this way, you'll know them by their fruit that they produce, but life does not come with its, without its hiccups and temptations. Here, here we see the first test of Joe's character. He's an attractive man. He's got the stuff. He might be sitting to you. He might be sitting next to you right now, honey. Behave yourself. He's the stuff of legend. He's the man with the dream, with dreamy eyes. Let me not distract you. Excuse me. But he seemed to be distracting enough to Potiphar's wife. To do more than just window shop and swipe through the bottomless vortex of Instagram, but his posts on leading Potiphar's flock, oh, this caught her eye. She stopped scrolling and peeked outside to see Joseph in person, walking into the entrance of the house and proceeded to, without any pickup lines, and get straight it with Joseph. Hey, boo, let's get down tonight. He was tempted, I'm sure, to cross a line and jump off a guardrail that would lead him off a cliff into a totally different story. We would be reading a totally different story had he decided to do something totally different. And God would have still used that story. But this is the story that we get. His response is, no, I can't do this. If I did this, this would go against God. Joe decided on that challenging day, hear another principle. We bow to heed in here today. He decided, here it is, shut the screen down before tapping on that ad that let down a website his eyes could never forget and where his morality was in jeopardy. I'll say that again. Joseph, under principle, we ought to heed today. Shut the screen down before tapping on that ad that led down to that website his eyes could never forget and where his morality was now in jeopardy. Because it would be one thing if this was just one-time experience. But this notification of Potiphar's wife kept popping up on Joseph's cricket wireless phone. Attempts of sexting, emoji, hidden signals, and DM requests became a constant encouragement for Joseph to cross the line. But each time, Joseph's character remained intact. He's learning. He's learning below the waterline the lesson of integrity. To do things right even when no one is watching. Finally, full of lust and lies, Potiphar's wife seizes his opportunity to destroy Joseph's reputation. This is probably what happens when you say no often, too often. Joseph had come into the house to do his work one day. He noticed the house was quiet. There were no servants around, who knows why. Perhaps he had sent them, she had sent them on errands to get them out of the way. Whatever the reason, she was alone with Joseph in the house, and she again made her move. Only this time, she would not take no for an answer. She went beyond the verbal and physical and grabbed hold of Joseph. She held tight, so tightly, that when he jerked away from her and dashed out into the street, he left his coat behind. He replied no longer with words, but with action as he runs, sprints, and flees from her, leaving his coat in her hands. Joseph leaves yet another coat behind, displaying that he's now ready for God to continue the building process below the waterline and to a new coat showing the world that he is both loyal to his leadership and loyal to God. Refuge, we live in a world who disregards censorship and exposure. It does not care if you are exposed to nude pictures and videos. The line of sexuality in the culture has been erased and is sprinting toward your soul, enticing you to dismiss the line you know is there. I speak mainly to men, but also, also the women in the room. I plead with you as a fellow minister of the gospel of Christ, if it means sprinting in the other direction when temptation comes, I need you to get your running shoes on and do not look back. It will destroy, it will destroy your ministry. If it means leaving your smartphone behind, sprinting toward the safety of your pastor and or leadership, and most of all, your savior, please hear me. Leave it behind. And here's why. Not because it's going to destroy your Your ministry, this is why, because God is trying to build in you below the waterline. And everything he's trying to build in you will need to have the integrity for the construction of your future to be successful in his kingdom. He can't use you if the integrity won't won't keep. Because everyone who comes to you that's looking for fruit, remember that moment when Jesus is looking for fruit and you don't find it? He's upset because I came to this place to find something that I needed, and I couldn't find it. What I'm talking about today is if you don't have the integrity by the time you need it, when people come and look for you, he can't use you. So here below the waterline, God is building Joseph's character in a world filled with lust and lies. God is building Joseph, and thank God he's building me below the waterline. Already... Going through the lesson of being misunderstood and misinterpreted, the news spreads fast like bad rumors do, straight to Potiphar's ears, and with rage from the lies of Potiphar's wife, Joseph is kicked out of his house, handcuffed by the Egyptian police for the alleged sexual misconduct and adultery of having sex with an Egyptian officer's wife. Though we know it's not true, the headlines, the rumors, and the gossip speak louder than the truth and place Joseph behind bars. Refuge Church, there will, be, there will be times when we will be misunderstood for our stance of morality. There is coming a time, either now or very soon, where your, your belief in right and wrong in regards to the biblical understanding of sexual identity will be questioned and even attacked. People placing you in the category of dogmatic, racist, or bigot, in those moments, hear me, stay true to who you are as a loving apostolic man and woman of God, And let God carry you through the process all while below the water line. And do it with love. The door slammed shut in Joseph's cell as he thought, I'm a long way from the pit the brothers threw me in. Joseph the dreamer is indeed a long way from home, learning to rub shoulders with the outcast, convicted and unwanted. God wants this for you as well. He wants you rubbing shoulders with those in our world no one else attempts to touch. Still, for Joseph, it's not fair. Joseph didn't ask for this. He didn't plan for this. And he definitely doesn't like any of it. I mean, would you? Behind bars, falsely accused, living with rats, and living in horrible conditions. And ladies and gentlemen, he didn't even have, lean in, lean in. He didn't even have Wi-Fi there. I mean, it was miserable. If anybody knew about the unfair treatment, it was Joseph. Unfair treatment from his brothers, restricted now in prison. One minute, he was a teenage boy with his whole life before him. And the next, he's a stranger, a slave, and a prisoner in the dungeon. He must have felt like he was back in the pit. But God was still with Joseph in the dark places. This is the principle. God is with you in dark places. He was with you. He's with you in dark places. I'll do this really quickly. I remember I was a time, really, really dark place for my wife and I. We, we just heard uh, that her mother had cancer. And uh, I was, we were busy. We were just busy. We, I don't even remember half of what was going on. But I remember there was a moment when I, it was, it was just dark. It, it was just dark. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I just, I felt almost hopeless. There was just so much going on, so much things going on. I remember I was in, I was in the chaplain uh, program. It's called CPE. And I was in, the, in a room full of these chaplains. And if you're in a room full of chaplains, all they're trying to do is they're trying to get your feels. You want to know what's going on. How do you feel? You know, what's going on? And so you're in this circle with totally different people. And I remember, I I had just, I had had it up to here because people were just, so how does that make you feel? Oh, I think you're deflecting. Like I mean, just this whole thing you're going around. And finally, like, They just someone asked me genuinely, say, "How do you feel?" And I just broke down. I'm talking about. I don't think I broke down like that in a long time. You know that. You know that face you have at the altar. You don't want nobody taking pictures of. (laughs) I didn't care. Like I was just. I was there. Well, uh, after I had what felt like an hour, but it was probably like only 30 seconds, where I just released all of this. You know, this emotion. God told me to quote out loud this verse. And, it's, and mind you, this is, this is to a crowd of, like, Christians, non-Christians. It's just a whole bit. But he said, I want you to quote the beginning of the Bible. So I do. So, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. He quote quoted it again. It's okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And he says to me, keep going. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the darkness, and he let me know. He says, Gavin, I was there too in the darkness, so I'll be right here with you. I was there before I had ever said, let there be light. I was in the darkness there, and I'll be in the darkness with you. So let me say that to you. If you're in a dark place today, that God is with you. He tells us in the very beginning that that's part of his character. He'll be there with you. Because twice we know the word of God says that the Lord was with Joseph. So, uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, the Bible says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And Genesis chapter 39, and verse 21, it reads the same. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. Keep her the prison. I feel led to say this too. God is with you, but I'm so glad I had my wife there with me. There's also people there with you to help you in that process. You don't have to do it alone. Thank you, baby. False accusations put Joseph in prison, but it was the Lord who stayed near him and nurtured his soul while he was there. Joseph began to see the hand of God in his prison experience, and what was the dirtiest of places, Joseph seemed to prosper. In this, he was free to be used of God in the lives of at least two men. As the prison warden gave Joseph a leadership position in his prison, you see, even the warden began to see what Joseph's brothers and father had not seen below the waterline. And as he was emerging to become what God had intended, not yet, but soon. But don't get me wrong. Even in the dungeon experiences, the quickest and easiest response for us to feel is that God has left us. You're wondering where God is in the middle of your family mess. God, where were you when I was alone with him and there was no rescue? Where were you when I was abused by them? Make no mistake, like you, Joseph did not deserve jail, but he responded to it beautifully. In the midst of it all, Joseph learns a key principle you must hear tonight as you are living right now below the waterline. Joseph kept his relationship with God in his life as something to be treasured and uplifted for the world to see. And because of this, God allowed him to be used in interpreting the dreams of two men, the cupbearer and the baker. Two men that offended Pharaoh in some way, shape, or form are now in prison with Joseph. Perhaps the Kool-Aid the following morning wasn't sweet enough for Pharaoh, or the chicken wasn't crispy enough. That's actually a good cause. Or the chili had way too many jalapenos, jalapenos, whatever it was, probably a misunderstanding. It made Pharaoh so angry that both the cupbearer and the baker were thrown in jail. Isn't it remarkable how God often brings alongside people who are going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing that we're going through? Similar experiences. Surely, both the cupbearer and the baker can relate to Joseph, but we learn something about Joseph, or rather, we learn what Joseph learns. He has learned to notice the pain and discomfort of others, for he himself has faced similar pain. Hear this. Learn to see your pain in others so that you can minister to them through the experienced pain that you've, that you've experienced. This is the principle the preacher of Hebrews records. Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Sympathy and empathy are different things. Sympathy says, you look down in the hole and you go, ooh, I'm sorry. Things are bad. Uh, Have a good day. That's, that's, That's sympathy. But empathy jumps down in the pit with you and says, I know exactly how you're experiencing things if we'll learn how to jump in the pain with other people, you'll be, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how easy it is to make a disciple. People just want to be heard and listened to and heard. One day, both the baker and the cup cupbearer had a dream. When Joseph came by their, cell, their jail cells to drop off coffee with a splash of goat milk for creamer, or sunny side eggs up and waffles, Scripture says this. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 6, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in the custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? If anybody should have a sad face, it should be Joseph. But in the spirit of his own circumstances, he noticed that someone else around him had a problem. Joseph stopped thinking about himself for two seconds. This is a hard lesson to learn, but you learn it below the waterline. When your heart is right, even when you are at rock bottom, it is remarkable how sensitive you can be to somebody else's need. This shows Joseph's ability to think beyond his own immediate cares and needs in order to minister mercy to others. Now the teenager texture of dreams would not have been able to do that before. But here we see a different Joseph and God is still not done with him. Briefly, they share their dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams, giving credit to God the entire way. He explains that the king's baker is not going to make it, but the cupbearer gets to go back to the palace with Pharaoh. I wonder how frustrating it must have been for Joseph to interpret the dreams of others, yet he couldn't interpret his own How unsettling it must have been for him to speak a word into the life of others, yet he is having a hard time hearing a word from the Lord concerning his situation. I've been there. I've been there. After interpreting their dreams, he turns to the cupbearer and makes a request. He says, would you keep me in mind when it goes well with you? And please show me kindness by just mentioning me to Pharaoh. And please get me out of here. I was kidnapped In the land of the Hebrews, and even in this dungeon, I have done nothing to deserve to be here. Genesis 40, 14 through 15. I don't deserve to be here. In fact, none of my dreams share this part of my story. This wasn't part of the plan, was it? And three days later, it was Pharaoh's birthday. The king's baker was excited for his crime. Executed, sorry, not excited. Executed. (laughs) He was executed for his crime. And the cupbearer went back to being cupbearer. And then something Joseph is used to happens. Something that you're probably used to happens in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's a horrible feeling. It's a lonely feeling. Below the waterline, Joseph knows what it's like to be forgotten. And live in a place of disappointment. Two full years of disappointment. Say two full years. Two full years of nothing. No progress. It seemed while under duress in the process. He waits for two full years. I'm here to teach us today that God's process takes time. This call on your life is right now. Many of you answered that call and said yes in years past. You soaked the floor with tears. And step forward into his destiny for your life. But the full term of what that looks like may take more time than you had planned. It may have a few detours you cannot and will not anticipate. But God is working on you below below the waterline. The Bible records that two years pass. And finally the water begins to break. And we get to witness the building of Joseph just above the waterline. It's kind of like waiting for the building and renovation of a new building in Independence or a church plant in Excelsior or a preaching point in Raytown or a daughter work in Smithfield, Missouri or a church in the downtown Kansas City area. Still, we see refuge, I mean Joseph, emerging from the water. After two full years, Joseph experiences a turning point in his life on a day that seemed like any other day. The sun rose like it had done before in the mornings in the last two years. For Joseph, it was just like any other dungeon day, except that Pharaoh needs someone to interpret a dream, and no one can interpret. Finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. Finally, the chains clank off, the bars moved, the ropes lifted, and... He found himself being pulled out of the pit in this time for good. Pharaoh calls him up to interpret a dream. To make a long story short, Joseph was just as accurate with his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream as he was with the cupbearer just two years ago. And Pharaoh is pleased and impressed after hearing two things. The accuracy of Joseph in interpreting the dreams and Joseph's humility to give credit to his God for helping him interpret them. It wasn't long before Joseph is promoted as second in command in the land of Egypt, providing food for the surrounding nations that would soon need Egypt's help because of the famine that was coming. Below the waterline, Joseph teaches us yet another principle, humility, the unwavering understanding that we can do nothing without God. That's humility, the unwavering understanding that we cannot do it alone. There's just some things only God can do. Genesis 41 through 41 through 43 says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby charge you the whole land of Egypt. Joseph wasn't just in charge of the flock of his dads anymore. He wasn't just in charge of overseeing the business of Potiphar's house, but the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. This is a different coat than the one his daddy gave him, ripped off by his brothers. It's a different garment than the one left in Potiphar's wife's hand, and a much different one than the tattered garments in the dungeon. Surely now you can see that God was working below the water line. And he put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before, make way, make way. Before, his brothers told him to get out of the way. Now people are saying, you can make way for this man. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. I am convinced I am convinced, at least that would have been me, that tears flowed down Joseph's cheeks as he was tallying up all the things that God had taught him in the past 30 years that God wants to teach us below the waterline. And now as he watches his brothers come to Egypt because they now need food has the, the need for food has clenched the, the known world. The story is too long to get into, but Joseph learns still, even now, as he is being built below the waterline, the power of forgiveness and reconciliation, saying these words with tears streaming down his face as the chapter in Genesis chapter 50 closes. There is power in forgiveness and reconciliation in your story. As you grow and emerge below and then above the waterline, Joseph closes his eyes and remembers every hard moment, every experience of pain every struggle to stay committed every time he wanted to give up every instant he considered going mad thinking God had abandoned him he turns to his brothers with grace and his voice shakes as the culmination of his life is summed up in 23 words his whole life 23 words this is what he says you intended to harm me That's like 17 years in four words. You intended to harm me. But the rest of those words, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Why? To save many lives. To save many lives. I realize now it's not about me. What you intended and conducted was all below the waterline. But what God was doing is now being shown to you above the waterline. All this was building in me and through me to construct a bridge. Like our Brooklyn Bridge we spoke of earlier that will one day help others cross and meet salvation. Because salvation today has a name. And his name is just like the New Yorkers, frustrated because they could not see the progress below the waterline. In Joseph's life, Daddy didn't notice it. Brothers caught a peek and hated him for it. Potiphar didn't recognize his full potential and kicked him out of the house for it. Potiphar's wife tried to crush and destroy it. The jailer saw a fraction of it. The baker forgot about it. Pharaoh was used to share it, but God was watching. And building and shifting and moving and molding and growing Joseph for the future of his world. It wasn't just about Joseph, but it was about what God was creating in Joseph for the benefit of the world that Joseph would need to lead. Listen to me, the Joseph's in this room, and that means all of you. The working of God on your life now will be hard, and you won't get why you're going through what you're going through in this particular season and context. But God is building you in such a way that will impact the next drove of disciples you are destined to disciple. That's why he's doing it. That's why he did it for Peter, James, John, Thaddeus. You name a disciple, that's why he did it. I speak from experience, though I have never arrived, nor will I ever. But God was molding and shaping a young black abuse forgotten on his deathbed, heart-stopping miracle boy to admonish and encourage you that the, that what the devil thought was his gain what the devil thought was his gain i can speak to him now that what the devil thought was for his gain god has created it for good he has created it for good so i can proclaim to you now that what god is building below the waterline one day everyone will see But not for the Josephs, not for the Refuge Church's glory, and not for your glory, but for the glory of the God who receives all honor and glory and dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. It is Jesus who knows. It is Jesus who knows all too well about the growth below the waterline. For it is below the water when you are baptized in Jesus' name where sins go to die. And when you come up out of that water above the waterline, you become a new creature. Behold, all things, all things are passed away. And God makes you new. He is always getting rid of things below the waterline so he can use you for his glory. So, how do we live? How do we live in this reality? As God grows us below the waterline, this is what Joseph did. He treasured his relationship with God, his walk with God, above all other things. It was gritty, stubborn determination and commitment to keep going, keep praying, and keep coming close to him. A good friend of mine, mentor, remember we used to, we used to play chess, and uh, he'd sit down, we'd play tress, and he'd beat me every time. I think one time I might have beat him. And he told me many a time when I sat in front of him, he says, Gavin, there's a vor- verse I want you to know. I want you to memorize. I want you to know it. I want you to have it etched because it's going to help you as you get older and as you go through things as a young man. He said, it will benefit you to recall. And this is the verse. But we all with unveiled face or beholding as in a glass. The glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I didn't understand it then, but I understand it now. That from one thing to the next, one hardship to the next, one heartbreak to the next, one heartache to the next, one headache to the next, in right relationship with Jesus, we are being transformed into his image, the image of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth, the image of that same God who hovered over the face of the deep before the world began, from glory to glory, and sometimes it's through the mud and mire, from church service to church service, And in between those services, it feels like hell has its arrows targeted directly at your heart from refuge campus to campus, from one altar call to another altar call. This altar call is going to be a little bit different. Where is she at? Sister Chester, can you help me out? Uh, Where is he at? Did he he leave me? Uh, Brother Kevin, can you help me out? Even Pastor, can you help me out real quick? uh what we're going to do, we're going to pass these out, a sheet of paper. Oh, they're passing out a sheet of paper. And basically what it says is, uh, my dream is, and God's call on my life is. And I believe during this next season of refuge, God is calling us to different places and different heights and different things. But to remind yourself what that is again. To remind yourself, what is God, what are are the dreams that God's called me to be? Sister Waller, you're 15 years old, but God's still going to give you. Huh? He's going to give, she's she's still, God's still going to use her dreams and her calling and her purposes in the next season. And so they're also going to pass out pens during this time. You're welcome. You pass that down. And it may be hard to write. I don't have clipboards for everybody. But I'm a teacher at heart, so I wanted I wanted to give you a takeaway. I wanted to give you a takeaway. Those pins are yours, by the way. Take them home. We have so many. We have so many. Here you go. Take take three. Take four. You didn't get a sheet? Who didn't get a sheet? Thank you. And so as you write, as you think, um, I want you to think, what, is God, what, what are my dreams? What has God called me to? And after we kind of get through with that, I want us to take that and give that to God and say, hey, God, here's my dreams. Here's what I feel like God's called me to do. And we're going to pray over those. And God's going to, God, I believe God's going to move in this, in this place. And God's going to concrete some things that he's been speaking to you in your life. If you wouldn't mind playing that, sir, for me. Give you guys time to write.
1: Standing in your ruins feels a lot like the end. So used to losing, you're afraid to try again. Right now, are you seeing God's just not done with you yet?
0: God, help us today. Truth
1: is that you're not forgotten, because grace knows your name. God's not done with you, even with your broken heart and your wounds in your scars, God's not done with you, even when you're lost and it's hard and you're falling apart, God's not done with you, it's not over, it's only begun, so don't. Jesus,
0: I pray, God, that your birth dreams in this place today.
1: It's
0: all below the waterline.
1: There's a light you don't notice until you're standing in the dark. And there's a strength that's growing inside your shattered heart. God's not done with you, even with your broken heart and your wounds and your scars. So don't have He's not done writing your style No, he's not
0: wrong mic, there we go. I wonder if you could take that, what you have in your hand, and if you're comfortable, come into the front and begin to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, here's the dream that I feel like you've called me to do. Would you help me during this process below the waterline, even if I don't understand it, keep on praying, keep on fasting, keep on going, This next season we're going to need it. But I want you to know that everything that God is doing is below the waterline. And what you wrote on that page may not come to fruition now. But if you'll hold that to the Lord and say, This is the dream you gave me. This is the dream you gave me. God help me walk through it. Would you come? Would you talk to the Lord for a moment? Now that you actually have written that down and it's actualized, begin to talk to the Lord. This is this is the dream you've called me to, but this is what you're doing with me below.